really drunk at the time. I'm, this album, Pink Floyd's The Wall, oh, excuse me, <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon, it's been a long week. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Maybe I think, you were the drunk one. Yeah. This is the album that you put headphones on and just got lost in the entire record. A lot of people think this might be the perfect record. Are you one of those people? Yeah, there's not a flaw in this record. Not a single flaw. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It's a great blues record. It's a great... Um, oh, what's, what's the right genre for Pink Floyd? Psychedelic? Psychedelic blues. Yeah, yeah. Just brilliant work. It's a... Uh, it's it's really sad what happened to Pink Floyd, the the egos and the inner internal dynamics of the band. It was Sid Barrett. Well, it was Sid Barrett initially? For those of you who don't know the history of Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett was the the founding leader of Pink Floyd, but he ate too many uh, disco biscuits. No, actually, disco biscuits would technically be quaaludes. Um, he tripped out and did some brain damage, and Shine on You Crazy Diamond was the band's tribute to him and how he had just destroyed himself with drug abuse. And then it was Gilmore and Rotten Waters and Nick Mason and Rick Wright. The four of them went on to make some of the most progressive and incredible – progressive was the term I was looking for uh, – prog rock. Is Pink Floyd prog rock or is that more – yes, you know uh, – Maybe like primitive prog rock, yeah, you know, yeah, like the, the early, early stuff, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah Omagoma, yeah, sure. you know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, 50th anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon. It was uh, just – the news came out yesterday that Roger Waters, we said it was terrible what happened to Pink Floyd with the egos. They couldn't work together anymore. Roger Waters uh, took credit for everything the band did collaboratively, uh, you know, not earned or not. And uh, Waters went off and did his own thing, tours on his own, you know, doing uh, Roger Waters' The Wall. And it's it's brilliant. I've seen it live. I've seen both iterations of Pink Floyd with uh, Gilmore and, uh, you know, before Rick Wright died and, and Nick Mason and other supporting musicians. I've seen them tour. I've seen Waters tour with his supporting musicians. And I've seen them get together and do little reunions from time to time. But Roger Waters has a very uh, outspoken opinion on, on politics. And he's been called a Putin apologist. And he makes no secret about his displeasure with American politics, both the previous Trump administration and the current Biden administration. Uh, it was just announced yesterday that a scheduled Roger Waters show in Frankfurt, Germany, was being canceled. The Frankfurt, Germany City Council uh, stepped up, took a vote, made a statement, calling Roger Waters one of the most well-known anti-Semites in the world. And Germany, you know, <laughs> Germany, they've got serious laws on their books that will that will stop whatever happened to their population in their political system during the 30s from ever happening again. And they think that uh, people without, you know, one thing about America, you can say it, say anything you want, freedom of speech. You know, you may have to bear the consequences of your statements in America, but uh, in Germany, you can't, you can't fly. Nazi memorabilia. You can fly it in America. You can have a rally in America, be a, a, a far-right extremist activist, have your meetings, have your online meetings, have your clubhouse, put out your newspaper with your extremist viewpoints. And in America, you can do that. You may suffer the consequences for it, but you can do it. You can't do that in Germany. 
and now Roger Waters can't play a show in Frankfurt. It's it's just, it's sad. It's sad when art uh, isn't inflicted by political views. It's the same reason why uh, Pantera, the newly reformed quote unquote Pantera, is not able to uh, play over there for in, in Germany. They uh, they Phil, have views. Phil there. Anselmo went on stage drunkenly and yelled. Uh, some racist things, and yeah. uh, you know he was caught on tape, and you know he denied it, or at least apologized. Right, said, that's not me. That was alcohol. Yeah, he said we were drinking white wine. It was a reference to the white. Wa- okay, buddy, but yeah, anyway, right. so Nobody yeah, he's not able to uh, to do that. So, and you know, we've talked about this before here at Cairo Nights about can you look past someone's political views and enjoy their art? You know, and for the most part, I can. I still love Ted Nugent's music. You know, I talked about being raised on in the seventies. You know, on this album, on, on Dark Side of the Moon, on, you know, The Police or Springsteen or whomever, but also on Terrible Ted, The Ten Fingers of Doom, The Motor City Madman, you know, Stranglehold. Oh, there it is right there. Perfect. But the guy's political views are so far out there. And, and some things Ted Nugent, I know some things Ted Nugent says makes makes great sense. His views on conservation are, I think, spot on. But you can't deny the riffs. You can't deny the, the talent and the riffs. But I, I but I, I won't go see Ted because I don't want to be sat, I don't want to be lectured to by somebody with. And I've been talking all the yeah, time. Yeah, he goes pretty far. He goes pretty far with it. Dude. He talked about shoving a machine gun up a body part of a, a former political candidate. You know, I mean, you know, geez, come on. Free speech is free speech, but it's not free from consequence. And that's just my personal choice. The consequence is, is you'll never get any more of my money for concert tickets. I'm sure he's not hurting for it. I'm sure he won't miss me at all. That's not fine. I don't need him to. It's Cairo Nights. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the pandemic and the emergency relief that was provided by the pandemic, whether it was in additional unemployment benefits that helped my daughter get through her losing her job in New York City for a while. She was able to stay and maintain her place in New York when her job was shut down due to the pandemic. Um, and today was the end of emergency funding for the emergency pandemic, you know, the allotments to particularly SNAP, which is the, you know, the, the food benefits. SNAP t- stands for, oh, God, what is it? Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, food stamps, right? Federal, federal aid with feeding your family. That came to an end today. It's been all over the news. We've had Nicole Jennings did a real nice piece on it. All the different news reporters have, have brought that to your attention. I know some of you feel like we didn't tell you that the penalties and fines of not paying your tolls on the good to go, whether it's a bridge or a high occupancy lane, that March 1st was the end of the grace period. A lot of people texted the station today. How did you, how did I not know that I'm paying penalties now? I'm paying fines now. I'm paying late charges now. We've been trying to tell you for weeks. And we've been telling you that these SNAP programs assisted the uh, additional funding for the SNAP was going to come to end March 1st. And a lot of people are going to take it in the uh, in the pocketbook and in the pantry at home. It's hard to feed a family right now. You know, this week we had a story that the attempt to find universal uh, free lunches and breakfasts for school kids in Washington State didn't get out of committee, didn't make it to uh, become law in the state of Washington. There's a scaled back version that they're trying to provide free lunches and breakfast to kids in schools. If the school has a 30% threshold of families who already qualify for uh, assisted or free lunches in schools, 
I mean, the, the thing is, it's about feeding kids. You know, there are studies upon studies upon studies about how kids are far, far more disproportionately subjected to hunger. It affects them more than it does adults. They're developing human beings. Their brains are developing. Kids, kids can't learn without proper nutrition. So when, you know, we can't give them a free lunch at school or free breakfast, a guaranteed lunch or breakfast at school, kids suffer. And that means the future suffers. You want to talk about investing in our infrastructure? What's more infrastructure than our kids? What's more important about building this country's ability to be great again than making sure the kids of this country have everything they need to be successful? And I'm not saying we should take the emergency relief programs on for indefinitely. You got at some point, it's got to come to a close. But I don't know the wisdom of coming to a close with the food assistance from the federal government at a time when inflation has food prices so insanely high. You know, they're looking for ways to continue to help families, at least from a perspective of, of feeding the family. You know, it may not be additional unemployment benefits or additional housing benefits. You can only do so much for so many people. And you don't want a population that is just, you know, slaved to government dependency. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to live, I honestly believe, nobody wants to live on handouts alone. You know, there, I'm sure there are outliers and elements that are just happy to take the check and do nothing and sit on their butts all day and just let the government take care of everything. I don't think that's the norm. I think it's a small, small, small percentage of people who feel that way. I think the average guy takes great guy or girl or man or woman takes great pride in providing and accomplishing something and being self-sufficient. I don't, I don't think you're, you're a solid human. You could even be saying like a solid human if you don't at least provide for the, for the family and yourself. If you've seen food price lately, if you've been to the grocery store lately, it is absolutely ridiculous how expensive everything in the grocery store is. Using this time to stop assistance in the food for families in Washington or across the country, it's a dangerous time to do that. Oh, excuse me. I had to get a little something in there. Are you drinking whole milk? Yeah, fat, full, full fat milk. No, it's water, my friend. Okay, I thought you were just drinking whole milk during your radio show. I was going to say, that is a buttermilk move, dude. It's so hot! Buttermilk was a bad idea! Um, Thank you, Anchorman. Yep. No, I, I was in the grocery store because I do all the shopping for my family. And I know inflation has prices on everything through the roof. But I got to tell you, I think we are being just gouged by the grocery industry. You know, I know that grocery prices are determined by three factors. The cost of the goods in the store, the cost of getting those goods to the store, and the cost of running the store itself. Those are the three factors that determine what grocers charge for what you buy on your groceries list, what you bring home to put in your pantry and in your shelves. Now, fuel prices last summer were on average almost $2 higher than they are now. And that was a key factor in how high food prices had become. But those gas prices have come down almost to pre-pandemic levels. People will point to uh, times early in the pandemic when the Trump administration was in charge and we were drilling like crazy and we were energy independent. But prices for fuel now are are literally are pretty comparable to what pre-pandemic numbers were. When the pandemic came and everything shut down and no one was driving, of course fuel prices plummeted because there was no demand 
for the excessive supply. And they were giving gas away for a dollar something a gallon. That was due to the pandemic. That wasn't real world. So let's not talk about that in this. Let's keep oranges to oranges, apples to apples. So fuel prices have come down almost two bucks a gallon in the last year. So grocery prices should come down too, right? The cost of getting the groceries to the store has come down. Groceries could give us a little bit of break. They haven't at all. Prices haven't come down. I mean, they're still insanely high in, in food. The other element of labor for grocers to staff their stores. That's the other factor, one of the three factors of what it costs to have groceries in the store. How grocers make money, they're a business. They deserve to make money. But they've got all their labor contracts in place now. That was a, that was a, a situation a year and a half ago where a lot of the grocers were on strike. There were new labor agreements. There were some merging of major retail, grocer retailers. I think Kroger bought up this one or that one or whatever it was. Those issues are settled too. The other thing is the food chain, right? The the supply chain of food. I don't know that we're through the supply chain interruption that was the pandemic. I'm sure there are sectors of food production that have caused uh, food prices to go so high. I know eggs have been insanely high lately because of a massive avian flu epidemic. 57 million chickens have had to be destroyed in this country due to an avian flu outbreak. And that's driven prices up. But chickens, uh, they produce and grow pretty fast. It won't be long before those numbers come back down to what we should expect grocery egg prices to be. The fact that we only have three or four main meat processing companies in this country, consolidation of meat processing across the country has been allowed to happen. So processors can charge what they want because they're the only people cutting up meat in the country, three or four different food processors. You know, we're, we're being gouged by the growth. Groceries are making record profits. That's the point I'm trying to get to, and I apologize for rambling about so much to do so. Labor costs are, they're, they're settled. Fuel costs have come down. I know that it costs money to buy the bulk groceries at, uh, you know, at wholesale prices and bring them to the store. But I was, I'll give you an example. I was shopping for a jar of jelly, right? And this jar of jelly has doubled in price in the last year. I know there wasn't a COVID outbreak or a labor shortage or a jelly plight or a berry plight at the jelly factory. It's just flat out gouging. And so if we're going to, you know, end the assistance to families about how it's my wife texting me, make sure I go to the store and get some on the way home. I will. Some overpriced stuff. Yeah, please do. Pop-Tarts for dinner, sweetie. (laughs) Have you tried to buy Pop-Tarts lately? It's ridiculous. You got to go in there on special. You got to get the uh, generic brand pop tarts. Oh, flop tarts, the is that what they call so those? Pop tarts. <laughs> I can't believe it's not pop tarts. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a tough time to cut assistance to families. It's not like we're paying people, you know, giving people extra money to go and do stupid things with. You can't buy cigarettes or liquor with SNAP money. It literally does go to feed families. And when groceries are at an all time high, it seems to me just a dangerous time to cut people off from assistance in the way of feeding their families. 13% of Washington families rely on some type of food assistance. That's a lot of families are going to be able to make ends meet. And, you know, that's one of those things you can't just cut from the budget. It's not like cutting the cable because you can't afford any to have cable anymore. 
You know, it's not like the luxuries that you have in your life that you let go. Food is food. It's a basic staple of life. I hope the legislature can get it together and pass some type of food assistance for kids in Washington schools. Looks like that is going to happen. A scaled back version that is going to happen. I hope so. It is. I really am just talking about making sure kids get enough to eat so they can learn to their highest abilities and secure the future. Kids get to pick your retirement home. Let's not screw around with them now. Let's make sure they're the best that they can be. Remember that, Spike. I know. Trust me. It's Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill along with Kevin Deers. The 50th anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon. Be an honor tonight. We'll be right back after these. Welcome back to Kyra Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Kevin Deers and happy anniversary to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. You don't have to be stoned to enjoy this. It does help. You'd be a lot cooler if you were. <laughs> a lot cooler man. if you did. <laughs> uh, lots of spirited exchanges with the uh, with the text line about the entitlement program. Lisa Brooks uh, sent me a piece of information too that I wanted to give you guys. Uh, the food assistance program. I was speaking to what a dangerous time it is to end federal assistance to help families put food on the table. Uh, a bill to add an additional twenty five million dollars to state food assistance programs was unanimously passed by the the state house on Monday. Democratic Representative Mia Gregerson of SeaTac asked for the money to fill the gap as federally grocery supplements come to an end. She says the extra money is essential to avoid what she called a hunger cliff. Uh, the extra money would keep food programs funded until the new budget takes effect in July of this year. Thank you, Lisa Brooks. See, that's why when we have Lisa come in and talk about films and television and we're taking her away from the news and she does great work. Uh, that's an important element to know about this story. The state is stepping up to make sure that we can feed our kids. That's what it's really all about, man. You know, if your tax dollars are going to do anything in this world, let's take care of the, the least, uh, the most vulnerable amongst us, the kids. The texters point out, you know, we've always got money for war, though, don't we? Yeah, sadly but truly, we do. Uh, people these days are talking about how, you know, foreign aid is such a hot button this issue, the issue these days, especially with uh, the war in Ukraine and all the different uh, perspectives on that, whose fault it is, what side's doing what, where is the corrupt side on this. People are actually supporting Russia's side in this for various reasons. We don't need to get into all that. But there are folks who say, well, you know, why are we sending money anywhere in the world? Why are we sending foreign aid anywhere? We have bills to pay here at home. And I, I see the mentality of that. But you can't really look at foreign aid unless you acknowledge and are aware most of the money we give to other countries in foreign aid most of the foreign aid we give to other countries comes in the way of military aid. And that comes in the way of local military contractors. So when you're talking about not sending any money overseas, you're talking about taking money out of the military weapons contractors that are in America, who all of which employ American workers. So when you're sending money overseas, if you stop doing that, you're taking a lot of Americans off the job. Those things, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do to send bombs or money or wherever overseas. I'm just saying there are a lot of different factors involved. You talk about Nazi closing our borders. All my dollars should be right here. I mean, who is it? Um, one of the new congressional, oh, Miss Bobert, representative, the, the gentlewoman from Colorado's third, Lauren Bobert, who's always first with the wrong information. I think it's a race between some of these people in Congress. 
sent out a uh, a tweet, of course, because you know a, an official statement on House Representative's letterhead would take too much time and effort and brain patter. It had a, a globe that had been uh, you know changed to show just the outline of the United States. This is the only place my money should go, right there, the U.S. You know, the entire outline of the U.S. surrounded by nothing but blue water. No Mexico, no Canada, no nothing. Problem was it also had no Hawaii. Also had no Alaska or Puerto Rico or Guam or the U.S. Virgin Islands. So it's a big issue, foreign aid. Sometimes you should just shut up and let the grown-ups talk. And I'm not talking to Representative Boebert in particular, but if she hears it, wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> I don't think I called you an a-hole, texter, who just wrote that. Yes, you did. No, I did not. <laughs> uh, listen, if I'm calling anybody an a-hole, it's me. I know that I know just enough to know that I don't know enough. Stop the self-hate talk. Hey, it's what I do. Self-deprecation is the easiest form of humor. And it brings everybody to the table. It's wonderful. How about this lady with tuberculosis? This story that Lisa brought us in the news uh, last hour, this lady for over a year has had tuberculosis and she doesn't want to seek treatment. She doesn't want to take the antibiotics necessary to make sure that she's no longer a risk to the community that she wants to go out and about in. It's gotten to the point now where they've told her, you need to treat this very infectious respiratory disease you are suffering from. And she says, well, I don't want to. I don't want to take the antibiotics to cure this. I want to live like, Well, you have to be quarantined then. You can't be out in public. I don't want to. I don't want to do that either. Yeah, she's free. Freedom. Spelling freedom with a B at the end. Ah, my favorite people. And, you know, how, how do you have the right to inflict danger on everybody else? And, you know, and I know we could get into the conversation of the pandemic and the vaccine and the whole nine yards. And, you know, there there have been revelations of late that the vaccine maybe did start in a lab and didn't start at the at the bat store where you the the wet market in Wuhan. That's a freaky occurrence anyway, where you can go and buy any number of exotic animals live to eat. That's just I love this country. I was abroad once, Kevin. I was in Africa. I was with I was with World Vision. I, I've told the story before, but it bears repeating. Did you sing I, the Toto song? No, it's insulting to Africans. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you know, when we worked with the Bob River Show at a variety of stations in town over the course of the 25 years we got to do this, we worked with the folks at World Vision. They're a local nonprofit that makes sure that kids are cared for. We went on trips where we uh, let folks in the Seattle, Great Northwest area know there were kids who needed sponsorships. And one of the things that World Vision does, their focus is clean, safe water. Water is life. I'm going to have some right now. Milk. It's not milk. It's water. It's water with <laughs> ice. It's water with ice, so it looks like milk. So, anyway, we were in Zambia, okay? I mean, in the in mid-continent, South Africa, but not to the tip, the middle of the country. Very dry, okay? Water was of scarce commodity, World Vision's goal is to go and drill, drill wells, supply villages with water. One of the reasons they do that, not only is water, you know, keep kids alive. Uh, in Africa, the hierarchy of society is that the boys do the work and the girls, their job is to go and get water. 
some children in Africa, little girls mostly, not always if you don't have them, little boys do it. But they'll walk miles in each direction every day to just go bring back whatever water they can, as clean as they can find from whatever water source is available. Brutal. Boil that water and then you know, the family can live another day. And we were at a place where World Vision had already been and had already provided a well that was keeping an entire community prosperous and safe and healthy. And we came, you know, from America where the money comes from. They thought that Bob and Joe and I were like, you know, Mr. World Vision ourselves, you know. And so they wanted to roll out the red carpet, as it were, in these little villages. And literally, these people who live, you know, 7, 8, 12 to a one-room place, if they're lucky to have that, are are happy as you can be when, when, when they're healthy. You know, they're, they're genuinely happy with what we would consider nothing. And when the Americans come, when World Vision comes to their village, the local World Vision reps in all the countries around the world, the local African reps came with the Americans and the celebrities, Bob and Joe and I, boy, they got a low threshold of celebrity, but they roll out the red carpet and they, they slaughtered one of their goats in the village. They slaughtered one of their goats in the village to treat and show respect to the people who were helping them from America. Wow. Yeah. And I got to tell you, buddy, I have no, I have no taste for goat. <laughs> you know, we, we were in, and I, 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 I'm glad I brought Cliff Bars. I would, I would go to, to, you know, relieve myself to use the bathroom, bathroom, restroom, and I'd go and woof down a Cliff Bar. So when I had just one little bite of goat, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be disrespectful. But my tender American tummy did not do well with the wild foods of the third world. I've never had goat. You know, I, I had goat once in New Orleans that was delicious. I mean, nice. delicious. A good chef can make anything taste great. You know, one of the reasons that spices are so prevalent in places like India or Africa is because you don't always have the best cut of meat. And with the right spices... Welcome back to Kyra Nights. He's Kevin Deers. Great job, man. I appreciate you. No, I'm Spike O'Neill. You're Kevin Deers. No, it's what you said. I, I'm getting no there, buddy. Um, <laughs> we're going to play an hour's worth of uh, this afternoon's show next, obviously, because I have hit the proverbial wall here at Cairo Radio. I'll be back tomorrow from 12 to 3 with Jack Stein. Uh, we do have a little bit of time left here, though. So here's a story, Kev. This is... Um, Boy, it's it's whitewashing history, but it's the right thing to do. I'm not for rewriting history. I'm not for, you know, if, if our past embarrasses us, we shouldn't talk about it. Okay. Because it ticks off some people. But here's a story that I think I think it's the right thing to do. NFL films. You know NFL films, right, the folks? Dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. I mean, you remember the old school NFL films? Yeah. Right? Oh, man. With Those remind me of my, watching them with my dad. Absolutely, man. The voice. The pig skirt. Exactly. The gridiron masters. You know, that, well, the problem is when they were filmed in the 70s and the late 60s, all the way through into modern day, we were a different society than we are today. And the violence of the game, we talked about Terry Bradshaw earlier with Frank Summerall. How you could, I mean, there are, there is footage of Terry Bradshaw getting picked up and slammed directly on his head with no flag being flown. Now, if you 
give stink eye to Tom Brady. It's roughing the passer. The NFL has made great strides in trying to keep their athletes safer. But what I'm talking about is the NFL film's legacy. They're being sued. They're being sued in a New Jersey court by a former temporary worker at NFL Films. And what they're suing over is inappropriate footage in NFL Films. If you see any NFL film from the vintage years, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, films with with footage uh, tagged and timestamped described as cheerleader buttocks, cheerleader's rear end, female fan in bikini top, female fan cleavage shot, close up of cheerleader's breast, cleavage shot, random woman cleavage. I mean, you've the slow motion fan jumping up and down in the stands. The guys at NFL the great films, iron. the yeah, the jiggle iron. Um, the NFL Films is being sued because of that. Now, NFL Films knows, okay, we know we have evolved as a, as a culture. We've evolved as a, a, a wing of NFL, the NFL itself. NFL Films is a part of the NFL. It's an officially, you know, the documentary, the, all that stuff. It's part of the NFL. They know that they've evolved. And they have tagged all this footage to make sure that it won't be put in to future versions of NFL films. I think they're suing to have these removed from these films. And, you know, I, I'm not for, I'm not for teaching kids that uh, the, the, the lessons of history are their fault or that they should feel bad about the color of their skin. I'm not for any of that. That's all, that's wokeism gone amok, gone too far. And, and teachers really do separate the classroom by color. So you kids are slave owners, and you kids are slaves, and you guys. And then the kids who are side, they, all they do is show up the color today. You don't need to feel about let think that about that, especially at that time of their life. Some of those laws that protect overreaching teachers are, are right in, right on spot on. And I think it's a good idea that the NFL takes the jiggle out of NFL films. It was part of the culture of the seventies. They were trying to sell a new product, and we all know sex sells whether it's football or toothpaste or automobiles. Go to the auto show in the 70s. You think NFL films were bad? The women paid to stand around new cars at the auto show in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Today, sex sells. It's exploitive. I get it. We're better people now. And there are some things that you can change. And you should change when you can. I've heard Bill Maher use the term presentism where you judge history by the standards we have evolved to today. You know, I'm not for taking down a Thomas Jefferson statue because Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. I don't agree with the policy, of course, but it's the time they lived in. Eleven of the first 12 presidents were slave owners. You want to strike them all from the history books? I don't think you should. How do you feel about ring girls like in UFC and uh, sorry, yeah, boxing and whatnot? If it weren't, if they weren't there, what would they be doing? Working at barista, you know, bikini barista stands. They're probably models. They're probably athletes in some regard. They're making connections, meeting people. Is it exploitive? Yes. Are they benefiting from the exploitation? Yes, they are. I got no problem with that. It's it's filming cheerleaders. That's true. It's filming cheerleaders in that super close up of the cleavage or the random onlooker. Right, the woman in stands, cleavage shot, random woman, butt shot. I mean, that's, come on, NFL Films. 
I know it was the 70s, but we're better than that. I don't mean to suck all the fun out of your NFL films, people. I'm sorry. Come on, Spike. <laughs> but sometimes it's better to grow up. Oh, Kev, uh, we are done. We're going to play, as I mentioned, the best of this afternoon show with Jack Stein and myself. Some topics that I hope you'll enjoy hearing if you missed it this afternoon. We had some spirited debates. And I thought they went well. I hope you'll enjoy them. I'm going to go home and soak my head. Some of the textures have been saying, go soak your head for hours now. I'm taking up on your advice. A nice, warm glass of milk awaits. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Kevin Deers. See you guys soon.